Hello, everyone. This is Mosey Truitt, and welcome to another episode of In the Spirit of Horse. I can't believe it because we are actually at the end of the first season of this podcast. If you listen to the very first uh, episode I put out, which actually wasn't an episode, it was a teaser, you know that this season was supposed to go for 15 episodes, and last week was the 15th. Oh, it's been so amazing to do this, and it's been just even better than I expected. And I definitely know that I want to continue, as I said in that episode last week's. But I am still deciding exactly how that's going to look going forward. Whether that means, you know, we're going to jump into season two right away, or if I'm going to take out the seasons and just make this a continuous podcast weekly, you know, for however long, maybe for a year, I don't know. So I'm still trying to decide that, and yeah, I just want to thank you all so much for listening, because it, it's been so wild, and yeah, just so much better than I expected, even, and I was pretty dang excited for this. So today, because I did promise that there'd be another episode this week, I've decided to do a question and answer, because I get a lot of questions about the podcast on Instagram and um and Facebook and different things like that. So I put out on my Instagram story, you know, that I was going to do a question and answer podcast this week. And I have some of your guys' questions here. So basically, I just want to answer some of those today, mainly also because I'm kind of in the middle of travel. And I I kind of have a little, a little, little, little. I have some limited time right now. And I thought, you know, with this being kind of the wrap-up of season one and with me traveling and whatnot, it might be fun just to do some question and answers. So here we go. I'm just going to jump right into it. The first question I got was, do you have a date for moving to the new property? So if you've been following me on Instagram or on my blog, you know that the horses and I and our whole entourage, we're actually moving to a new ranch and we're going to be kind of opening up our own our own uh, little gig there, our own little Liberty. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to call it yet, but I'm really excited and it should be pretty great. And if you want to read about it, it's on the blog. And I think we're going to be moving later this summer. So I'm pretty sure August and I will definitely be talking about that. I'm really, really excited. And yeah, I think that that was a pretty straightforward question. So question two when and why did you start all the Liberty stuff and how did you teach yourself to do it? Well, when, I guess, I think it's been quite, um, I kind of started when I was 14 is when I, I think started really questioning the equestrian world. And by age 17, I was kind of really into the Liberty things and already teaching. So Uh, It's been a while. Why did I start? Well, hmm, I really started because I saw that there was something, I didn't really see it. I felt like there was something missing in the traditional horsemanship world. And I was feeling like I wasn't agreeing with what was going on. And 
And then I started to see sadness in horses that I hadn't really seen before. And I think slowly my eyes um, were starting to see things that I couldn't ignore. So that really just sparked me into searching for another way. And I wasn't necessarily looking to do what I now call liberty. I just knew that I wanted to stop using force. And what that meant started to evolve over time. Actually, the teaser episode of this podcast, I kind of explain that whole, that little journey for me uh, with Annie. I don't go super into depth on it, but I I go enough into it, I think, to give you a, a little bit better of a why I started doing this. And then how did I teach myself to do it? It was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of sitting in the arena with Annie and and having nothing happen. And um, it was also, yeah, it was just a lot of trying things out and a lot of things not working, a lot of patience, and then finally coming to some bigger realizations about really about letting go of my expectations on the horse. That's when things started to really shift for me and Annie. I feel like the horses really taught me the most important things, which are the really the mindset and really mindset, the mindset and the philosophy. I'm having a hard time talking today, like usual, apparently. And then I also really started looking into learning theory and how we learn, how all animals learn, how dolphins are trained. Um, And that gave me a lot of clarity on why things worked in the traditional horsemanship and kind of demystified a lot of things that people were doing um, just to kind of know what was really happening behind, well, in the mind, really, you know, because there's a lot of things out there that are, seem very almost mystical in their approach. And I believe that our relationships with horses are a very mystical thing, but some of the training, you know, is a little bit veiled in like the, this mystery of how it works and that it's just the way of the horse. And I think looking into learning theory really helped me to see that, oh, a lot of the things we're doing, it's not necessarily the magic of horse communication. It's still our communication. It's actually, you know, something we're very strategically doing that we might not understand the science behind it. But but looking into the science behind it really helped me to understand how we communicate in a new way. And, you know, from there, I, I try not to stick too hard into the just the pure science. Like I'm not going out with the horses and just thinking, well, MC squared and blah, blah, blah. That's not even the terms, but you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking in like just a science mindset. Um, but it definitely, definitely helped to learn. And then the rest has just been really just trying things out and trying to listen to the horse as best I can. And things are kind of evolving for me now. So I would say what I'm doing right now is really just you know, trying things out and learning from the horse as best as I can. Hopefully that explains a little bit. Okay, next question. What tips do you have for connecting with a horse that you don't meet so often, just to show that you are understanding and non-demanding? That's 
that's interesting because I definitely did not used to see Annie nearly as much as I do now. Now I live with her and I, I see her very, very often, but there was a time where I saw her once a week and, and then when we started doing Liberty a little bit more, you know, I couldn't drive yet. So I'd see her maybe once or twice a week, which, you know, for some people that's actually kind of often. Um, but I would say to, hmm, to help them understand that you're not demanding. That's very interesting. I like how you put that actually. I think that is one of the biggest things that I start with any horse is going out to see them and not immediately jumping onto the things that I want to do or the things that I want to kind of take from them. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when I'm starting out with a horse and even, you know, as I move up into a longer, deeper relationship with them, I definitely want them to know that I first and foremost want to know them for who they are and that I don't need to use them in order to be happy with them. So I do a lot of going out and asking them what they would like and learning about them, whether that's their preferences and their dislikes and and kind of taking expectation off so that I can go out like I would with any friend where I'm just trying to get to know them and we're not necessarily trying to do anything together. But you know, then when the time comes and you feel like you're ready to start doing things together, or maybe that time is now, I try to keep it as playful as possible. And if you're looking to be non-demanding, I think the biggest thing with that is just to give them a choice. Do they want to engage? Do they not? And if they don't, not holding any hard feelings about it. Because I think a lot of the times, even just our mood change, you know, when the horse says no and we get disappointed, which can happen, it just can be our natural reaction, the horse picks up on that. So I try to really prep myself that no matter what we do today, especially in the beginning, I'm not going to, I'm okay with whatever answer I get. If the horse says no, fine, you know, there's so many other things to do and I'm happy just to be with them. And if the horse says yes, you know, even that's great. That's so fun. And, and it's wonderful, but really staying, staying balanced in myself either way and not holding too tightly to the outcome either way, which I know can definitely be difficult at times, but, but I would say that's one of my biggest things I would do if, especially if I don't have that much time with a horse. Okay, here's an interesting one. I actually love this. Any advice for loving yourself slash accepting where you are in the current moment? Ooh, I, I love that because that has been such a big theme for me this past year and something I've been really, really working on. Hmm. I honestly think that for me, understanding that being compassionate towards myself is crucial and actually allows me to be more compassionate towards others has been a huge, huge help. And I really think that in order to be compassionate to ourselves, we have to accept that we can make mistakes and we have to accept that we are innately imperfect and that even though we're imperfect and we're human, we are 100% deserving of 
love and understanding and compassion and that we are 100% enough. Hmm. I really think that for me, coming to understand that no one really knows what they're doing and that everyone has the same struggles has been really important because I think it's so easy when we feel like we're not good enough or we feel imperfect to somehow think that we're the only ones when really whatever emotion we're feeling there's hundreds of thousands of people probably feeling the exact same thing in the same moment right now and we're all in the same boat here and none of us are perfect I think that has really helped me to embrace my mistakes or things that I might consider, quote, flaws, you know? Um, it, it just reminds me so much, actually, of the Brene Brown book, which is the gifts of imperfection, that the literal gifts of being imperfect are um, compassion and I think there's a, there, she she lists a lot of really, really good ones, um, which I can't think of right now. But I think the main thing that keeps coming to my mind is compassion. Because if we can understand that we're never going to be perfect and no one else is ever going to be perfect, then we can really start to extend that compassion towards ourselves. you know, because of the imperfections. And I think that that has been crucial for me and has definitely helped me to extend compassion to others the more I extend it to myself. And with that, I try also very much to not believe my judgment. Um, you know, we all have judgment, especially towards ourselves. And I think judgment towards ourselves is kind of the root cause of most judgment outwardly. And you know, the thoughts might come into our head that we have a judgment about ourselves, what we're doing in the moment or about someone else. But if we can let it flow through and not believe the judgment, that is a big shift. And so really working to be as the least judgmental as I can, first and foremost to myself and then to everyone else around me has also really, really shifted my life and something that I think is really added a lot of beauty to basically everything. So the next one here is, how did you find the courage to follow your passion and not do what you were, quote, supposed to do? Hmm, I like these. These are also great. Um, how did I find the courage to follow my passion? I honestly think that, you know, I, I kind of have a few issues with Instagram and it's all about my relationship to it and and technology in general, but Honestly, I think Instagram and seeing that there were other people out there that were interested in the same things as I was with horses, I think it gave me a lot of courage to follow my passion. I think I also grew up in a pretty uh, a pretty accepting household of, especially with my mom, like follow what you love to do. and And yeah, I think I... I think I grew up in a pretty supportive environment in that. 
And not to say that, you know, there weren't bumps of disappointing people because I definitely have disappointed people and not doing what I'm supposed to do. But I think at some point I just realized that, hmm, well, you know, like it's no one else's life and and you can spend a lot of time trying to make other people happy and and they're never really going to experience it. You know, they can have all the opinions in the world of what you should do, but most of them are a projection of of something that maybe they want to do or maybe something that they think would be best. But it's just a projection of themselves. And, and that's not to say that you don't want to listen to people's opinions, but I think first and foremost, I really try to listen to my intuition and... And even right now, a lot of what I'm doing is kind of shifting and I'm needing to find some new courage to, to, you know, do the things that I, that I really want to be doing versus the things that I personally think I should be doing. Because a lot of this pressure is not about other people. It's about me. What are the things I think I should be doing? And I think untangling that from, you know, what I am really being called to do versus the things I think I should be doing. I'm actually working through that on a new level right now. And I think the main thing is to see the difference in some ways of where fear is talking and where love is talking, as kind of cheesy as that sounds. Okay, next question. What is one piece of advice you would give to someone trying to get started in the horse world? Um, I guess my first piece of advice or my one piece of advice would be to really listen to yourself and to your intuition. If you don't think something is right or it doesn't sit well with you, really listen to that um, because there's probably something for you to hear in that. But, But also with that, I would say, I know for me it's so easy to get really black and white or really hard on myself about things. And I think the biggest help for me in the horse world actually has been keeping things playful. So listen to what you believe and keep things playful, I guess is what I would say. Okay. I am really loving these. How do you deal with self-criticism? Wah, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> how do I deal with self-criticism? I think really getting to know which voice in my head is the critic and is really just the critic trying to tear me down and almost sabotage me, getting to know what that voice sounds like and kind of putting that voice away, which has been a really big, you know, um, that hasn't always been easy. And it's not always easy even now, but it's something I try to stay very aware of. Actually, the, the book Women Who Run With the Wolves, which I think is an absolutely amazing book and I love it, has one story about the predator of the psyche. And I've been reading it a lot recently and it's, it's called The Bluebeard Story. So it's very interesting. It's not just the self-critic, but it's kind of this predator of the psyche that wants to cut you to pieces 
Um, and kind of looking at that and thinking what piece of me actually wants to destroy me in a way, like what part of my mind is just tearing me down to tear me down and not really adding any benefit. Um, I think that's been really important because there's the certain voice that, you know, is kind of like the predator of the psyche that will tell you everything you're doing wrong, but not give you any solutions and not actually try to help you in any way. So yeah, becoming very clear on what that voice is has been important. And then also, you know, sometimes taking your sword and just cutting that voice off. Also very important for me. Okay, and here's just a fun one. Um, I would love to know just fun stuff about you, like your Hogwarts Hogwarts house, etc. Uh, I don't know what else to, what the etc. would be. Um, but the Hogwarts house on Pottermore, I am Gryffindor, and I think I'm usually either Gryffindor or Hufflepuff. Okay, so how do you handle necessary things, vet, farrier, etc., if the horses don't want to do them? I think what's actually really interesting is I've I've kind of realized that you know, these are these things that the horses have to do kind of either way. You know, there are certain health things that that they, it's just necessary. But that being said, there's still ways we can make them more enjoyable and we can still give a horse a choice in it so for example with annie i think i i think i told this story on one of the podcasts but basically i had to give her eye medication and i had to like stick this tube in her eye and like squeeze it out and she always hated it and she'd be pulling her head away and she'd be you know really not happy about it and i'd be like i'm sorry but we got to do it and then i realized actually through my friend who, um, her name's Shirley Rensink, and she was doing all this targeting with her Mustangs, that I could actually ask Annie if she would put her eye down so that I could put medicine in it. So I had to do it either way, but this was a way of asking, can we do this together? And so I'd put out my hand, um, and I'd like put it up and I'd, um, face it towards her eye, which before we had to put the medicine in, we had worked on her putting her eye to my hand. So I put up my hand facing her eye and she puts her eye into my hand and puts kind of leans on it. So when it came to do the medicine, Annie saw that I had the medicine tube in my hand. She knew what we were doing, but I asked her if she could still put her eye in my hand and she did. And then I put the medicine in and she just kept leaning into it and she let me do it fully and she knew exactly what we were doing and it was just so much easier. And I realized just giving her a choice, being able to ask, you know, can I, can I do this, whether you have to do it either way or not, just transformed that whole process. And I did the same things with ears. You know, she got this cut on her ear and she didn't want people to touch it. It actually hurt. And I started just really quickly, we learned to target her other ear and to target both ears. And then I'd ask her, can you target it? And she would target it and I would put the medicine in. And it was just so much easier than like trying to like grasp at her ear when she didn't want it touched. And as far as like trimming and whatnot, like I I wrote a story about Leah actually, because when she was a baby, she needed her feet trimmed and we had this kind of really not great experience and 
uh, it just, I was really afraid that she wasn't going to want to get her feet trimmed anymore because we had had this bad experience and she was really scared and she was running away on the halter and it was just really not good. But the next time I was like, okay, well, I'm actually going to take the halter off and we're going to do this completely at liberty, which is how I trim the horses anyway. Uh, but for some reason she had had the halter on cause she was a baby and yeah, it's just a whole long story. So I was like, no, we are going to do this the way that I usually do it. And we're just kind of go into it and set her up for success as though it wasn't an issue. And the next time I did that and we just did our normal thing and I made it fun for her and I, you know, asked her to stand with a trick that she knew, uh, it, it went amazingly and she's been fantastic with trimming ever since. So I think giving them as much of a say as we can really, really helps just to make them feel like they're participating in it. The next question is, do you look up to anyone in particular in the horse world? I'd say I actually look up to quite a few people. I think every single person I've had on this podcast, I look up to. Um, so, and, th- and there's a lot. I think, I think <laughs> pretty much everyone I want to have on the podcast, I look up to for some reason. I think there's a lot of really, really strong women out there doing some really fantastic things, kind of transforming the horse world. You know, Frida Rebel and uh, Nina Polo for Instagram, you know, Unbridled Goddess, Sophie's Horse Tales, and Trinzen, Emily Frosty. Wait, not that's not her account name anymore. Sorry, Emily. Um, Kira's Way. That's it. Kyra's Way. Sorry, I don't know which one it is, but Emily. There's actually, there's so many. I feel like I don't, hmm. I, I should write a post where I just like tag all these amazing, incredible women. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people. <laughs> okay. So this is an interesting one. Do you have suggestions for people who only have access to horses in a very traditional way on how to incorporate at least some Liberty horsemanship techniques into their horse life? You know, I really do think that sometimes we're not in a situation where we can go fully liberty and that is okay. And I think that it's true. Just incorporating a little bit more of listening to the horse can be so beneficial. So I'd say the first thing is to, eh, I wouldn't say it's the first thing, but one thing that comes to mind is really listening to the horse when the horse says a strong no, or just says no in general. I think the first step to liberty is listening more. So, you know, take note of what a horse really doesn't like and what a horse really does enjoy and and start to take their voice there into consideration. And maybe that's not something that a horse says no and at the barn you're at, you know, you can't just listen to that no. But there might be something you can do to make it more fun and more enjoyable And I think looking into positive reinforcement is a good way, looking into learning theory again to know what kind of why things work and what's going on. You can start to enhance a horse's life more. I think also spending time with the horses where you're not asking anything of them is another really big one. Some of these same things I'm saying over and over again, but only because I think they're really important. Okay, and lastly... What are the best activities you can do with a horse to bond with them? 
Ooh, it's such a good question, but with so many answers. I really think that it depends so much on the horse. I think there's a lot of techniques out there that are very one size fits all. You know, every horse is going to want to do this. When you do XYZ, every horse is going to have this reaction. But I really think that horses are far more individual than that. And getting to know what a horse enjoys, I think is such a good bonding activity anyway. And it could be totally different from horse to horse, but it's part of getting to know them and it's part of developing the relationship. So I guess for one activity would be to go out and discover what your horse likes. And I know sometimes that can seem a little bit like you just go out and you're like, well, what do I do now? And for me, sometimes it starts with how does a horse like to be touched? Or do they like to be touched? Or do they not like to be touched? And then, you know, if they don't like to be touched and they kind of want to be left alone, maybe just observing them of what do they like to do when they're by themselves or with other horses? And if they are very interactive and very engaging, looking at, you know, what do they enjoy? What do they want to do around me? Do they want me to pet them and scratch them all over? Or do they like to go on walks? Or do they like it when I just sit down and read a book with them? Or I don't know. There's just so many, there's so many different things that you can really play around with it. And I think that's kind of the, the heart of all of this is using your curiosity to lead you down a playful path. So I would just say, you know, experiment and ask the horse what they like. And then just do more of that and more of what you like too, you know, um, whatever you guys like together. Thank you all so, so much for listening to this week. I know it was kind of a different podcast, but hopefully it was kind of fun. And yeah, as far as season two goes and as far as continuing, this podcast is definitely going to continue, but I think I'm going to take a couple of weeks while I travel to kind of figure out how that's going to look and... And yeah, just see what the future is for this podcast. It's definitely not ending because I definitely have more people I want to talk to and I definitely have more topics I want to explore, but I guess I'll let you guys know. I'll definitely let you know on Instagram and on Facebook and on the website and here on the podcast. So subscribe if you haven't on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll be notified when the next season starts. But I would imagine it's not going to be more than a few weeks, but definitely, just definitely, uh, subscribe if you want to be notified. And maybe while you're there, if you want to leave a review, if you like the podcast, that is also so, so appreciated. And let me know if you want this to continue and what you'd like to see more on this podcast. You can definitely always comment on my Instagram with that too. Thank you just so much for being here and listening to me talk for 15 weeks in a row it's been it's been such a pleasure really it's been so beautiful and yeah it, it's just meant actually so much to me so thank you and I will see you all soon